what's been really helpful for me is realizing that your thoughts don't need to be taken as seriously as you think they need to be taken. And you're, you're allowed to let go of your thoughts. You're allowed to see a thought and not engage with it. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Weirdo Podcast, because today's weirdo is tomorrow's genius. In this episode, I'm joined by writer, coach, and illustrator Alex Mavis. Alex helps people to make an impact and grow their businesses by tapping into their passion and their innate genius. He's written several books on the business of creativity. In his most recent book, Illusory, Master Your Thoughts and Discover Mental Freedom, he outlines a set of principles that can boost creativity and improve mental well-being in general. If this conversation resonates with you in any way, then I highly recommend checking out the book. It's a short read and it's packed with some really profound insights into how our minds work. In this conversation, we explore some of Alex's perspectives on the workings of the mind and how that relates to things like anxiety and fear and also creativity and freedom. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before we dive in, Alex, could you just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, I'll try my best. Um, absolutely. So it's difficult to, de- to define what I do a lot of the time because I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things and I tend to jump around from one project to the next quite, quite rapidly. But I think if you were to uh, find a sort of common thread, I'd, I'd currently be, be describing myself as a, uh, a business coach, but I tend to find myself exploring ideas around mindset and uh, thought management and emotional intelligence and that kind of stuff that that side of of business and all of this stuff has sort of come come about through quite an intriguing bizarre evolution from doing geography at university in london that turning into real estate masters that then turning into for whatever reason uh, an illustration career so I, I was an illustrator creating digital vector illustrations for uh, the best part of 10 years and I found that um, that was that was great but I, I was looking for more I was looking for um, more I guess social interaction and the ability to help others along the way so I found myself becoming a consultant based on all the stuff that I'd learned as an illustrator um, I was doing lots of marketing consulting helping other illustrators primarily grow their businesses and, and share with them what I'd learned. And um, that sort of developed into more just general uh, business coaching, um, sort of life coaching type stuff. Okay. So what, what do you think is, is there a common thread like from through that story, like from, from geography through illustration to coaching and, and all the business stuff? If it, if you, is there like a common thread you can see there that kind of ties it all together? Is there something that you're sort of on a trajectory towards, do you think? Good question. I ask this myself uh, all the time. Um, I would say 
the thing that I repeatedly return to whenever I'm finding myself lost, whenever I'm finding myself asking the question, Alex, what are you, what are you doing? What's, what's driving you? What's, um, what's keeping you in this? And what's, uh, what are you turning away from that's making you less enthusiastic about what you do? And for me, it always, the answer always comes out as I really enjoy helping other people um, come to life, right? I, I enjoy the process of helping in whatever way other people get energized. So it could be getting energized in their business. It could be getting energized in their life in general, but whatever it is, I, I love the process of helping others find that inner spark, find, um, find that thing that really switches them on and, and, and gets them motivated. So you can call me a sort of a Mr. Motivator type, type, type deal. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can totally resonate with that. Like I, I can also, um, I also get that kind of buzz or enjoyment from, you know, the feeling of kind of helping somebody with using my experience to, to sort of help someone get yeah. a fresh perspective or something like that. Um, from your experience of like, so you've been, you've been coaching and, and, and doing this kind of work for, for a few years now, right? Yes. What would you, is there something you could identify in that you see as a common sort of um, a common thing that a common theme among people that's sort of holding them back? Is there sort of a, the same kind of things that come up again and again that you see, or is it, is it kind of different for everybody? I'm definitely seeing a common human thread. Absolutely. There's, there's uh there's always, one or two things, maybe it's even just the one thing that repeatedly returns. Um, and I've been a great case study for this in terms of sort of figuring out how to get, get past blocks and, um, you know, a sense of resistance and, and worry and anxiety and insecurity, all of that stuff, all that human stuff. And so I've, I've studied it, you know, I've, I've, I've looked very closely at what it is that's causing or at the root of not flowing freely through life, which is what life's all about. Um, not enjoying life, not, uh, not being connected to that real, that sort of innate inner, inner joy that is supposedly there. And the thing that has, has um, come back again and again in terms of sort of insight that I've, that I've received or, or uh, a teaching that makes the most sense, that has helped me the most directly, that's actually had real world uh, benefit is is uh, is understanding thoughts and the power of of thought and how it can be restricting obviously it's a it's a fantastic tool to be able to think your way through stuff but I've found that you know when I'm trying to unravel and trying to sort of return back to the root of why people tend to, to suffer um, it's the misuse and the kind of naive not naive but the the, the totally understandable, totally human um, misunderstanding of how thinking works and how we can best make use of the mind to transcend a lot of the limits that thoughts put on us. So I, yeah, that's, that's, that's the big, I mean, that's for me has been the big takeaway through everything that I've done, you know, and, and it, it applies to so many parts of life. It's, it, it applies to business. It applies to 
whether you have the confidence to go out and um, ask clients to work with you and, and worry about being rejected. It, it, it all, it all links back to if you, if you can find a way to make things work and whenever things have been successful for me, when, whenever things have worked, it's usually been when I've looked back and I've seen myself not taking thoughts so seriously, stepping out of my head, getting into movement, getting into action and just doing stuff without, without overthinking too much. Mm. So it's, it's one, it's one of those things that, that is on one, on, in one sense, extremely simple. It's like, the answer to to everything right the answer to all suffering is like is thinking okay but on the other hand it's it's not uh it's not as simple as it as it sounds you know it's it's simple but it's uh, it's very hard for for people to to follow that kind of um think less approach the mindfulness approach mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i guess i i mean that's something i've noticed over the the last sort of 10 15 20 years i guess it's it's definitely like it feels like a a growing kind of movement or you know like things like meditation that were pretty like fringe kind of woo woo stuff i think you know maybe 20 years ago and now it's like super mainstream and I, i feel like that idea of somehow putting more emphasis on the sort of uh being aspect uh, sort of awareness and that kind of thing. Um, mm. Yeah, just when you were talking about the thing about thinking too much and 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 how it can create a lot of stress and and all of these things, like I always feel like the more I think about stuff, the the less this I spend so much time thinking about doing things, but whenever you're thinking you're not actually doing anything it's kind of like it's a sort of paradox of um we kind of like to i think we're all kind of habitually inclined to try and figure things out with our minds you know before we do them like i have to figure this problem out i have to like work out a solution when in my experience like as soon as i start letting go of thinking about something then the problem tends to solve itself and it's almost like mm. the act of trying to solve a problem is kind of creating or it's kind of giving more solidity and more complexity to a problem that in, 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 in essence could sort of just dissipate, like you say, by getting into action, by actually sort yeah. of just moving out of that headspace of, of trying to do things conceptually and just like and just allowing things to happen and it's not not that there isn't a room for like concepts and thinking about stuff like that all has its place but it's sort of um i think sometimes we mistake that like the concept and the thinking for the actual doing itself and and that's where like i think i think that's where at least i i feel like i get stuck sometimes and and that's what i see other people too getting very sort of caught up in that like often you know there's often a lot of reasons and excuses why something isn't working out or why i can't do something or why i can't be something when when you're looking at it you know when i'm looking at other people saying you know i wish i could do this or i really but i can't do that and i don't have enough skill for this and don't have enough skill for that and it's actually they could be out there actually doing it and getting the skills Mm -hmm. and learning but they're instead they're sort of going through this pattern of thought of just 
telling themselves and creating a, a, a sort of a story that says, nope, this isn't happening. Yeah, exactly. You, you hit it on the head with the story. Like we tell ourselves these stories based on, based on experiences that we've had, based on, you know, um, pains that we've gone through in our lives and we sort of have adapted. And I suppose it's, um, it's, it, it seems to make sense to, to need to close off to certain things so that, you know, repeat, um, painful events don't happen again. And of course we create these stories so that we, um, are able to navigate through life more safely, I suppose. And, and, and it seems as though all the thinking behind how these things work and, and why stories are created in the first place, it seems as though we're in, we gain this kind of sense of control. Um, it's kind of a very, a very um, attractive idea to many people. I think is this, this idea that we will have more control if we spend more time in our thoughts. Um, and that's, that's the big conflict, isn't it? It's like, like, am I actually getting more control by thinking through these things and, and, and just spending all my time planning to actually take action? Or will I get everything I need by just being present and taking the action? And of course, it's always been the latter. Like it's, it's very, very easy to fall into that temptation of, of thinking that, Right. If I just think a little bit more on this, I, I know I know that being present and being conscious and just doing stuff is is really the best route. But I, but my case is a little bit different here because I, I I actually do need to think this through. Mm. And there are many occasions where I've where I've spent a lot of hours just thinking on something, you know, writing notes on it, and seemingly have come up with a really good solution. And I you know I'd I'd look back on the process and say, well, thinking was really useful there. It was actually helpful for me. Um. But then, of course, you know, the next day, I'll find myself thinking, you know what, doesn't feel so good anymore. Doesn't 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 really doesn't doesn't sit right. And this could be a bit of an issue with me being more of a feeler type. If you look at sort of uh, Myers Briggs personality, you, know, you have people that kind of feel their way through, and you have people that think their way through more. So sometimes I I can be very very susceptible to responding to how I feel, which is which isn't an ideal. Um, sort of <laughs> way of setting boundaries as you go through life, but um, it's useful in many other ways. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, like it's very easy to think that thought has this tremendous power in our lives that, that is going to help figure everything out. And, and whenever I've looked back on my biggest insights, my biggest moments of kind of my biggest Eureka moments where things just have felt right. And it's, and it just, an idea comes to mind and it's just like, ah, oh, that makes total sense. It's always when I haven't forced it. Um, so you, you could say there's something going on beneath the thinking that actually tends to sort our lives out without us even needing to, to, to think about it too much mm. or think about it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you like the, what you were describing is um, I think it's, it's a tough one for many people, even, even people who meditate a lot. I think they struggle with this idea of, should I completely abandon thinking and just sort of turn off my mind or is there some use to it? And I think, I think it was Eckhart, Mr. Mr. Eckhart Tolle, who, who helped me quite a bit in terms of understanding what kind of role thought plays in our everyday life. And um, the way he described it was uh, he, he used the example of if you're, 
planning your future, which is a good thing to do, right? You want to, you want to make sure that you've got goals set and there are targets and, you know, there's some direction to your, to your life. What you don't want to be doing is spending all your time in thinking when you should be taking action. Mm. What you do want to be doing is being present with your thoughts to plan the thing in the moment and then set it down and take the actions that you set. So there's, there's, there is a certain amount of thinking and planning that, that, that gets done. That's a good thing. It's a tool, but, but I think a lot of us tend to find ourselves, um, swimming around in that rumination for far longer than it needs to be spent mm. it, it reminds it's funny like i'm just i got this book on my desk uh technique for producing ideas by james Webb mm. young i don't know if you know that one it's like because i've heard I, of it no i've just been teaching a uh, I'm teaching a motion design course at the moment and that's sort of that process is something that i um that I, you know i use personally and i think it's a really good like uh, model for, for creative thinking. And, and it's actually, you know, listening to you talk about that sort of balance between, you know, using the mind and then sort of taking action. I feel like it's a pretty good framework for that in that. And so for people who are, who aren't familiar with it, it's basically like, it's a, it's a really short book and it's basically like a four step process. I think it's four steps, um, written by some, uh, it's, it's about, it's over 50 years old now, I think. Um, and it's basically a, a four-step process for coming up with ideas. And the first step is basically just absorbing information. So like whatever it is that you want to come up with a, an idea about, like if, you, if you're, you know, coming up with a creative concept of some kind, you just absorb as much information as you can. You know, if it's, if it's a, a client project, then you'll be looking at the brief and then you'll be looking at all of the, information that's available relating to that uh, mm. and then you kind of let it simmer for a little bit so i guess that could be considered kind of thinking um the way i the way i sort of frame it is it's it's not so much an active like really sort of churning with it but it's more just absorbing information and then kind of letting it like kind of mill around without getting too laser focused mm. on any specific things um yeah so I think, yeah, so the first step is like absorbing all the stuff. The second step is like digesting it. And then the third step is to like, let it go, go for a walk or, you know, do something completely different, go to bed. Uh, yeah. And then at some point the ideas start to like, it's almost like you're kind of, you know, percolating the coffee or something at some point it's like done. And then these mm. ideas just start coming forward and that totally, you know, that, that, works for me time and again like you say whenever the, the all the great ideas that come to me they don't come from me sitting there and like straining my brain to like squeeze the ideas out you know like the, the ideas just yep. come naturally but they do have to have some kind of um i guess foundation some kind of like uh fertile soil for them to come out of yeah um and and i, and I can see how that works in other areas of life too like um like a, a really sort of strong example for me is when it comes to things like public speaking and, you know, even doing things like this, doing a podcast, like, you know, when I was younger, I was really, really shy and really socially anxious. And if mm. it was anything where I would be, you know, in, in, in at the center of attention, 
I would get so caught up in my head trying to figure out how to, you know, what to say. And that, and I think that's kind of the, the problem that a lot of people have with people who have trouble public speaking. It's because we get really caught up in our heads trying to figure out, okay, I need to say the right thing. I need to make sure I'm doing it right. And just yeah. going into that arena with when you're in your head, it just completely kind of overloads the system because your brain is like, it's trying to like micromanage everything and you can't communicate in that state. Like in order to be able to communicate freely, we kind of need a, a certain level of, of like, openness right because we need to be able mm. to we need to be able to be aware of who we're talking to and get feedback from them and 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 make connections and and if we're just in our head there's the zero connection it's just purely like internal like yeah um feeding off itself so so that's what i find with like you know from what i've learned through through public speaking is i do need to do some preparation like I need to know what I'm going to talk about and I need to kind of lay out the steps that I'm going to talk about. Cause otherwise when I get up there, then I'll, I'll freak out because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but at the same time I need to leave myself some space. So I've spent time absorbing what I'm going to say. And then I kind of trust and have to let go mm. a little bit in order to, to be loose enough to kind of be present with people and still get across the information, but not in a, you know, in a rigid, like, Cause otherwise you just, mm. you know, it's just like reading for a book or something, but you, the, I think the magic of like, you know, when people are really good public speakers or good communicators, they're in the moment and they're just like flowing with what's happening and maybe yeah. referencing things that they've thought about, but they're not like in their head at the time. Right. Well, the thing about it, and you look comparing public speaking to, um, to creation. I think there's a, I mean, there's obviously the same dynamic at play as in, we're kind of contending with our thinking and trying to get the balance right between um, making use of our thoughts and our ideas and our visions and our imagination, right? And, and uh, bringing that to um, the task at hand without overloading yourself with ideas and stuff that kind of constricts us. So there's finding that balance. Um, and I think with creativity, there's it's not quite as immediate, right. As public speaking as when you're, when, when you're in a public speaking situation, you've got to, you've got to act right there. Whereas with, uh, if you've got a, a brief that's come through and you've got a little bit of time, um, to let things mull over, it's, you're dealing with a different time scale, aren't you? It's like a much more drawn out time scale for work versus, versus the public speaking. But, um, it's, it, we're, we're talking about the same stuff. Yeah. I'd say public speaking is just kind of like maybe just with the intensity cranked up. So it's just kind of like the same kind of thing, but just more, more condensed and more, um, but you could intense. I get that, but you could say, you could argue that the, that saying it's got saying the intensity is cranked up is just a thought in itself, isn't it? It's just a, that's a judgment, right? True. True. And in a, in a sense, you, you, there are probably quite a few people out there who take their work very seriously and they, they don't want to um, upset the client and they don't want too much time to go past. And I, I, would, I was thinking about some of your listeners who are kind of thinking, listening to this and thinking to themselves, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and let ideas percolate. I need to get this thing done ASAP. This is very, this is very important for me, very important for the client. It needs to get done. So, so there's probably a little bit of uh, anxiety around um, allowing ourselves to have a bit of space, right. Mm. For a lot of people. Mm. Do you, are your clients like, are they primarily 
from sort of creative industries or, or do you have like a, a is it is it more uh broad primarily it's it's creative um i guess because of the experience that i've had and the sort of throwback that i've that i've had in the creative sphere and i've i've, I've built up a, a fairly decent sized audience through sharing lots of stuff with the intention of helping creatives per se, but I, but I have own, uh, recently started sort of branching out into, into other areas because what I've realized is that the stuff that I can help with is not necessarily just refined uh, or constricted to, to the creative sphere. It can go, it can go anywhere because mm. a lot of the stuff I talk about is, is, is this stuff. It's stuff about thinking, it's stuff about re- resistance. And of course that applies, that applies anywhere. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working with, uh, you know, founders of businesses and, and CEOs and um, creatives and all, all sorts. Mm-hmm. I, f- I totally find the same thing. Like, I think when I, you know, started to put together a course for motion design, I found that like, you know, when I'm just looking at like, what, what are the most, what do I think are the most kind of valuable tools? Like what are the things that like have helped me the most and what can kind of give people the most like impact. And it's actually more like, more kind of overarching principles that actually apply in, in all situations. Um, and I, and there's also something really, I think there's something really satisfying about that too, of kind of having a, a kind of a model or a framework that, you know, it it works in pretty much all situations is that I think there's a certain sense of confidence you can get from that. It's like, Oh, I can, you know, if I look through this lens, or at least if you have like a set of tools, it doesn't have to be just one, but you know, not like a bunch of them. So you're like overwhelmed. But if you have like three or four tools and you can be in any given situation, you can say, okay, maybe I'll try this tool, this, this way of looking at things and um, you know, see if it helps. And, and in my experience, it, it kind of, you can apply a lot of these It's kind of like, you know, that idea of universal truth, I suppose, the certain truths, you know, the certain sayings that have been, handed down for generations that always ring true you know like yeah um, what are those truths we're, we're looking for them what are they <laughs> i want to know i want to i want to know the rule book to, to life <laughs> well yeah you tell me man you're the you're the coach <laughs> i was gonna i was actually gonna ask you like what do you um you know we were using that example of creatives who are kind of maybe they're a little bit um kind of stuck in that you know like yeah okay i get it right i I shouldn't think so much but i I need to get shit done now you know this is what like what do you what do you say to to people in that situation like how do you um approach that Mm. i i suppose for people who are nervous about the idea of taking time off to let ideas percolate i i think um i think you can still be very effective by taking an approach that that is all about taking one thing at a time and, and just doing whatever the next thing is, but with as much presence and focus and consciousness and awareness as, as you can. So you don't, I don't necessarily think that you, you need to go out and have a sleep and stuff to, um, to let ideas percolate that. Yes, that will help because your mind is going to be kind of silence, but I think you'll also get a very similar effect if you can call it that, um, in terms of being efficient with the work that you do and, and, um, uh, coming up with the most appropriate ideas, I suppose, for the, for the project, the most, mm. the most, the best ideas. Um, what I think that comes out of being with the work in front of you and just doing something right. So getting into some kind of a flow. So for, for example, a lot of the, 
um, examples I use is from the world of writing because I do a lot of writing. I've written books and stuff. And for me, I very rarely feel in the mood to write the next chapter of a book or an article. But I have started, I mean, I use a strategy now that I don't even notice that I use sometimes because I use it so often, which is to trick myself in a, in a sense into being present with the work. And that starts with allowing myself to make mistakes and, and sort of just, just starting to write, you know, just free, free flow writing. So, so I, I wonder whether you could take some of those principles across. So, so the, the, the real key thing is that um, a lot of us are held back creatively because we want to do well. We want to, we want to create something great from the get go, the perfectionism problem, mm -hmm. the perfectionism monster. Hmm. and so we need to be easier on ourselves we need to we need to take that pressure off because what perfectionism is it's it's well-meaning you know you want to create high quality work but we are also putting a ton of pressure on ourselves and pressure is is thought pressure is thinking too much that's it's the same thing that pressure is a thought that says you should do a really good job of this so don't get it wrong mate okay don't make any mistakes. Mm, yeah, I know that voice. Yeah. And who wants to do anything when that voice is saying those kinds of things? You, you're mm -hmm. like, I, no, I don't want to make a mistake. So I'm, I'm going to just chill for a little bit more. I'm going to, I'm going to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you kind of, you have to sort of, I mean, I suppose, I suppose for beginners at least, right? Beginners who, who haven't sort of um, given too much dedication to thought management and that kind of stuff. I, I think it's, I think it, helps to sort of trick yourself into taking action by making it really easy by just allowing yourself to create uh, a little bit of rubbish to start with, you know, mm -hmm. throw some paint on the canvas type stuff just to get yourself into motion. Um, and so you can sort of view it as a gradual process where it starts off as, okay, I've got this, I've got this big client project and it's really scary. It looks like a massive mountain, but what's the first thing I could do that just allows me to get into the movement of it? Perhaps it's just writing a list of ideas, you know, and, and, you know, list writing has been really good for, for um, allowing me to just relax into it. And, and uh, you know, the more you write down in a brainstorm, the better the ideas tend to be. Mm. And, and you asked at the beginning of the conversation, you know, what's the, th what's the thread that I've found? I, I know that I mentioned thought, but if you look at the flip side of, of the thoughts that tend to get in the way of stuff, the flip side is consciousness. Um, and so if you're looking for a, a kind of a universal truth, that for me would be the one. It's like, okay, um, if you're struggling with something, what's the solution? If you're resistant, what's the solution? Just, just get conscious with it. Um, and how do you get, to, so how do you get conscious? You know, I'm, I'm not a monk. What are you expecting of me? I can't, I can't sit here and just be conscious all the time. Well, what I have found to be helpful, at least to nudge me in the direction of consciousness, which I think is the key. It's like we, we can't necessarily be present all the time, like a, you know, a, a monk all the time. But we can, we can continually just be aware of where we're, where we're drifting. And I think what's been really helpful for me is realizing that your thoughts don't need to be taken as seriously as you think they need to be taken. 
and you're, you're allowed to let go of your thoughts. You're allowed to say, you're allowed to see a thought and not engage with it. It's less about trying, not trying to, to cling to thoughts. It's about just focusing on something else. Yeah. And in, in, this, in this case, it's just brainstorming or mm -hmm. writing or whatever you can do. Mm. Yeah, I find something that, that's really helpful in, in that case is, is kind of allowing as opposed to sort of trying because because there's something about trying, even when you're saying like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be aware. I'm trying to like not think just the act of that kind of it, that energy of trying is kind of a little bit constrictive and a little bit like uh, it's like you're, you're fighting something that resistance. So even mm -hmm. if you're in a, so maybe you're having a, you know, a thought that you don't like because the thought is telling you, you know, you suck and you can't do this and, and all that stuff instead of trying to fight that thought and being like, no, I don't want to hear that thought like la 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 or, you know, arguing with the thought. If you can just kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to allow that thought to be there. And then it kind of mm -hmm. loses, it can lose its, its, its energy that way because you're not feeding into it by sort of pushing against it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So in a way you're, um, you're, you're just sort of being compassionate to it. You're kind of, mm -hmm. you're just being okay with your thoughts rather than mm -hmm. being in a battle with them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that's really helped me too. is like, you know, cause I, I've really, you know, been a big time perfectionist and still, you know, still have those tendencies and, uh, I, you know, I've done myself a lot of damage with that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I find really helpful now is to actually sort of embrace failure and not even necessarily doesn't mean that I like, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's, speaks to what you were saying there about, you know, just throwing paint on the canvas, like just, just doing stuff. And it doesn't even have to be actual, you know, doing bad stuff. It's actually just, just mentally before I actually do something, mm. just trying to allow that, that thought. Cause there's always, it's, it's a fear. I think, I think that's where perfectionism really comes from a fear of failure. It's kind of like, if I do everything perfect, then I'll never have to feel that sense of rejection or that sense of failure. Um, but if we can just kind of accept that it's like, it doesn't feel great, but maybe it's kind of, maybe it's okay. It just sort of, just sort of allowing it to be there a little, instead of immediately fighting that thought or that as soon as that feeling comes up of like, this might not work. I might fuck yeah. this up. This might not work. Like just be okay let's just stay with that for a minute. Let's stay with that feeling of like, this is failing or this isn't going to work. And, and I think just even just opening up that space, it's the same thing of like, by not fighting it and not trying to push it away, it actually, the energy of it can dissipate enough to then free up some space to, to, you know, to start getting into action again and actually yeah. start doing the stuff. Cause it, I think it really is that, you know, I'm also a big time procrastinator. So I've had plenty of time to study it, you know, and, and, and really um, it, it does. I think it really boils down to that fear on some level. There's a, there's a fear of it, it sort of feels safer not to take action because it's uh, you may not be successful, but you also can avoid failure that way, at least, you know, on mm -hmm. some, in some form of logic, there's the, right. that kind of works. There's a lot in there to, to look at. I, I, 
one of the things that you talked about was this idea of failure. What about taking it a step, a step beyond that and, and asking yourself, you know, what is failure? And perhaps I'm being overly subjective about what I think failure is, right? I mean, you, you hear it all, this isn't anything particularly new. You know, if you peruse Instagram and read, you know, stuff about business and entrepreneurship and quotes and stuff from, from entrepreneurs, they tend to talk a lot about failing forward and how good it is to have failures, right? And mm -hmm. to, you know, making mistakes is is a good thing in business because it helps you um, get feedback and it gives you data about what to do next. So you don't even need to see what looks like a failure to you and you don't even need to label it as such. Mm -hmm. Because I, I suppose when you have in your mind that even if you're telling yourself, I'm going to let go of the need to avoid failure, you're still in a sense judging that, right? You're still saying that this thing is a failure. I mean, I'm being, I'm being good here by letting go of it, but it's still a failure. Mm -hmm. So it might be helpful to, to ask yourself and, and very often questions can be, can be helpful just to say, um, I mean, is this a failure? Maybe, maybe not even ask that. Maybe ask what's good about this. What's, mm -hmm. uh, what are these feelings of stuckness or fear how might they be um how might they be interpreted in a, in a really good light in a, in a way that's helping me and i i have to say I, I have gotten better at this over the years like i used to find life incredibly difficult because i would find myself feeling fearful and thinking this was the worst thing in the world thinking Oh, this is a sign that something's seriously amiss here, right? I, I have a problem here. This isn't this isn't good. <clears throat> Time to close up. Now I see those feelings rippling through my chest in, in, in anticipation of anything, whether it be a podcast interview or um, you know public speaking event or whatever whatever it is that that might be frightening. I see it as my body communicating with me and saying that you're just a little bit too much in your head. And I can see that as something to be thankful for. Mm. Right. I can sort of say, ah, okay. It does feel a bit weird, but um, this is just, this is just my, my own physical meat bag telling me <laughs> that I, that I am just thinking too much because there's a, there's that link thought. This, this is another like crucial bit. And this could obviously open up a whole new conversation, but the link between thoughts and feelings, you know, it's, it's the same thing. I know that's a very kind of resolute, this is how it is, but <laughs> that's, that's been a big one for me. It's like really seeing that like emotion is pretty much the flip side of thinking. So if you're feeling scared or you're feeling bored or frustrated, or you want to just procrastinate, it's just showing you the state of your mind at that point. Mm. Does that help or does that make things even more complicated? <laughs> I don't I know. Guess, I, I guess I'm just to trying everyone. to, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to like uh, let that one, let that one sit with me. Like is, is mm. thought, I mean, I definitely, I can totally see that thought and feelings are, you know, inextric inextricably linked. Um, and um, yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense that, you know, you're feeling something it's, it's, connected to a thought um mm -hmm. but then would you also say that i mean because i'm some there's kind of 
different functions, I suppose, or, for, or at least maybe the, you know, the, the sort of evolutionary purpose of feeling is to, it's kind of part of our survival mechanism, which I guess is, is the same as it's what thought is too, right? It's, it's there mm. to help us survive. And that's why we're so good at thinking because thinking is, is it's helped us to, uh, to survive as a species. So the ones that are best at like thinking about potential um, death traps or, you know, figuring out how to uh, avoid where the, the tiger lives and all those kind of things have yep. um, resulted in survival. And, and so we've inherited those uh, qualities. Uh, but would you say that it's still, you know, cause some stuff is kind of instinctive, right? Like you have an instinctive, uh, you know, I think we're all born with an instinctive fear of, of, uh, of heights, right. Or something like mm-hmm. falling or, you know, like, and, and, you know, you have a fear of, um, it's natural to kind of, uh, feel a bit shocked if, if, if you hear a really, you know, if a gunshot goes off or something like that, Yeah, is that the same thing or is that something slightly different? You think? Yeah, I, I had a uh, problem with that for a while until I realized that they were two different types of fear effectively. Uh, you could see it as um, a very visceral kind of chemical fear that is basically just, as you say, it's something that's been built into our genes, into our molecules. When we respond to a tiger running after us, that's a very different type of fear than the sort of ruminatory fear that you get in anticipation of a of an interview. Mm, mm-hmm. It's it's coming from an entirely different place. Mm. Um, I'm not a scientist, but that's the thing that's made the most sense to me. It's like, if if there's a loud shot, like you're not even, there's no time to even think about it. Your body reacts, right? And that's just a built-in hormonal chemical uh, response. Mm -hmm. Is Um, it not kind of the same that like in in, in a sense, if you kind of really extrapolate it, like the fear of the interview on some level, if you, if you kind of really dig, dig deep, that deep, deep down, it's still kind of going down to that, essentially like a fear of survival because i think there's some like this is how i see it anyway it's like you know you're afraid that like you're you're gonna not get the job and then that means that you know as a result of that you're not gonna have money as a result of that you're you know you're gonna starve to death you're you're gonna be um Mm. you know rejected by your your friends and family and all that kind of stuff which well, results this is getting, in death. This is getting... from an from an evolutionary evolutionary perspective, it's like being rejected from you know the tribe would be equal yep. to death, right? Like I've heard people talk about this. Yeah. It's like you know, if you go back to you know, we're sort of pack animals and we rely on each other to survive. So back in back in the day, if you if you were rejected by society, then you couldn't survive on your own. And I think that's where, mm-hmm. as I understand it, that's where this sort of fear of or this kind of, um, you know, built in need for approval that we have comes from because, yeah. because we, we developed that, that desire to, to yeah. be, to n- not be disapproved of and not to be rejected. Yeah. So I, I think what you're describing is the other type of fear, which is the non-chemical visceral immediate type of chemical stuff. It's more, um, a built in necessary part of our evolutionary development that has come about because of these issues because of the fear of being left out alone and they're there for good reason absolutely they helped humans survive but i think the problem is is that we live in a modern world a very unnatural environment where we are still using those tools but we're using the shit out of them 
we're just over it's we're just overblowing it mm. um so everything that we feel everything that we think ten i mean it, i don't know about the thought part but the uh, certainly the emotional um like the reason we feel these emotions is it was to, to say to help us survive through time so um these have all been built into us to allow for the survival of the fittest mm. And this is what, so I was reading about this, uh, see if I can kind of make sense of it. But for example, um, you need to read why Buddhism is true by, I think his name is Richard Wright. Really, really fascinating insight into why, you know, that the Eastern philosophy and how that relates to a lot of, um, uh, neuroscience and, and the understanding of the brain and evolution we have basically kind of evolved to trick ourselves. Like our brain is, is, is there in a large part to make us take actions that um, we don't really know why, why we're doing it. So for example, we see, it, we see a donut and we get this, I, I'm, I'm now exploring rather unfamiliar territory, so bear with me, but. You see, see a donut and you get that feeling of, uh, yeah, I need to eat this. You know, there's a real kind of internal drive to want to, to want to have it. So, so we, we get, um, I, is it an, an emotional response or a hormonal response? This is where I need to hand it over to a scientist, but we basically get very driven to want to eat that thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that comes about as a result of, uh, you know, over time evolution wanting us to chase after calories, right? Um, but then what happens is that we feel terrible shortly thereafter. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, but this, uh, there is an overlap. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we finished eating the donut, we don't really feel, we, we don't feel so good. And what that means is that we, our bodies is kind of putting us in a situation where we are motivated to go out and find more. But because there's so much stuff on tap, like that's kind of gone out completely off balance now. Everything that our bodies are telling us to do is sort of shifted. Um, but I, I'm aware that I'm, I'm, I'm potentially talking more about uh, kind of the chemical response rather mm. than like what happens, what happens when we think about certain things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting when you, when you look at the kind of our ancestors and how things develop with them um yes we have we have this rather painful emotional response to the idea of being banished right mm. um and but the thing is that you know there is very little of our experience in the modern world that is anything like what it was like we we would be in a small tribe for most of our lives and we would never have this sense of needing to prove ourselves to someone new you know we would we would be accepted by our tribes very early on we wouldn't have that pressure it would be this is us forever this is our group and anyone else coming in would be seen as a threat Mm. so what what's happening in the modern world is that we're kind of coming face to face very often with with total strangers and expecting each other to to relax through that Mm. it's actually quite it's quite an intense thing for given our evolutionary development true yeah yeah when you think about you know it's like i don't know how many hundred thousand years or millions of years or whatever that, that it was like that and then it's only yeah, like a couple of million years or something that we've actually been in this sort of sort of uh, you know urban environment with 
you know, yeah. all of these different things. And it's, it's basically like, maybe this is also, I think maybe we're going off on tangents, but it's cool. Cause I think this is all super interesting stuff, but yeah, um, it's like, we've learned how to hack into um, these sort of physiological responses. You know, you're talking about like the donut, you know, with like the refined mm. sugar and stuff, all of these, you know, cause we're, we're sort of hardwired to, to look for calories. So, you know, we've figured out a way of, of like, condensing calories into an incredibly you know small and shiny object um you know which which ticks so many boxes right it's got bright colors on it and it's you know and Mm -hmm. it's it's, uh it's you know it's tastes sweet and it's got all of this sensory quality to it it's a kind of equivalent of you know spending a a week of hunting you know in in like one momentary bite you can like absorb all of those all of that flavor and that sensation and those calories and then and then you've got everything with you know with social media and and sort of hacking into our dopamine response with like notifications and all of these other things and it's like and we're really just sort of hacking into these biological responses like i don't i think that's it's interesting you know where that ties into emotion and thought and everything but but uh I well, see it's, that it's and it's like, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's the way we've, we've sort of evolved these, these kind of urges through, you know, millions of years of evolution in terms of survival. And now we don't really need any of that anymore because we've kind of taken care of all of those issues. And instead we're, but we're still, we still have those responses like Pavlovian responses to like new things appearing and, and, and interesting noises and, and, uh, sweet flavors and we just mm. figured out how to extract them into their like you know purest essence and just like and we're just kind of we're really messing ourselves up with it right we're just mm. like our system is just like what is going on like yeah and i think that's and we're, we wonder why everyone get. is depressed all yeah. the time <laughs> yeah or just anxious or freaked out and yeah yeah we got to look at uh, you know who's doing the the hacking, right? So it tends to be people who want to um, promote a shift in behaviour for their own you know sort of business needs. I know that we're kind of kind of going down the route of you know everyone's cynical and this and that, but um, you've got people who are you know it's in their interest to move a crowd, move an audience in a certain direction so that they you know um, make profit and and move people and whatever else. Um, but of course, yes, when we have all of this control and we are taking advantage in a way of our sort of innate human natural instincts, which are ultimately um, very innocent and sort of turning them into um, sort of taking advantage of them and, and, you know, at the expense of the health of the, uh, the person who's sort of um, falling for these temptations, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, this is, this is where I think we're moving into a, a new era, a new phase in terms of people needing to, to, to get smart about how they're being manipulated mm-hmm. and needing to sort of return to a sense of like total self ownership. You have, you have to figure it out for yourself because the madness of the crowds, right? It's never going to get, you're not going to get a crowd that gets less mad. It's just continually moving in in the direction of how can we take advantage of the moronic crowds you I, for me it's all about kind of 
being aware of your individualistic sense of responsibility and then doing what you can to help help others around you i think maybe maybe i've i've found like a, a sort of a way of looping this back in to kind of where we started a little bit which is you know like you're saying about this this kind of awareness um the way to sort of break out of of this i guess you know being being manipulated is is just being aware of your own your 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 physiology in a way your your bodily responses and 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 and, and that includes like thoughts and emotions like being aware of um mm. where you're kind of unconsciously following something not because it's sort of in your best interest but just because it's kind of it's it's your your evolution yeah. your evolutionary like uh programming just yeah. taking hold so the more you can actually be aware of it the more you can actually take more sort of a more of a a bigger picture perspective, right. And make decisions that are better for you and, and consequently for other people. Mm. And I think how that ties into the whole, you know, the sort of, um, manipulate, like from the manipulators side, mm -hmm. they're doing exactly the same thing. Cause they're also like, there's no real, if you're looking at it from a, from a more zoomed out perspective, even for the people that are making a lot of money and, you know, getting, uh, quote unquote power from manipulating other people in, in, in essence, they're also, they're kind of destroying their own environment, right? You know, like when you look at, you know, a lot of the problems that we have with war and, and, and global mm. warming and all of these things, they're coming from a, a, a sort of short term perspective of how can I, I need to look after myself now. I I need to get more money now, and you know, yeah. don't, let's not. I don't. I don't think any further mm -hmm. than that. And that is essentially another part of that evolutionary kind of programming, right? It's just like, okay, I can. I only need to just deal with my current cravings, which is you know, for money and and for respect and for yeah. uh, for people to like to worship me or whatever it is. Um, there's those people who are just as much in the trap as the people who are being manipulated. And, and we all are at some, I think, at, you know, at different, different ways and different areas of our lives. We're all being the manipulator and the manipulated. Yeah. But the more we become aware of that, that this is just like, it's just like a program. It's just like a, you know, software programming um, that we don't actually have to follow. And, and if we break out of it, then we can actually start being like, Oh, you know what? I don't actually, I actually mm. feel better when I don't eat, you know, that donut or I don't, you know, I feel better when I um, go for a walk instead of uh, scrolling Facebook for an hour or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, looking at the, the internet obviously comes with its, uh, its downsides, but it's also got its upsides in terms of being able to access information that we know is, is going to serve us rather than, detract from us right so perhaps perhaps a few hundred years ago you wouldn't have known that a you know refined sugar obviously much less than that you wouldn't have known just in the science of it that refined sugar wasn't so good for you beyond feeling terrible after eating a donut so we've got that we've got the this very open access to information which is i mean it's, it's certainly not perfect but there's a there's a ton of it that you can make your own decisions through and then obviously the internet's been really helpful for me in reading books and stuff just to sort of get a little bit more clarity on what works and what doesn't 
so that's that's one i suppose good good thing about this inter interconnected world we live in the other thing that came to mind was you know you, i think you have to ask the question of what is it about the people like what is it about people that are going to make them more at risk of these kinds of things like what what is it that they are doing the people who are going to fall for the manipulation the people that are going to continue continue to to experience mental suffering and and overweight and obesity and that kind of stuff that comes from this sort of manipulation and the depression that comes from social media misuse right like what are they doing that other people aren't right and for me it's it's about uh it's returning as you say back to the beginning of the conversation which is about consciousness like if you're if you're uh, unconscious you're going to do these things that aren't helpful for you if you're if you're in your mind and you're not focused and you're kind of floating about, you're going to, you're going to do the things that feel easy, that feel like the quick fix, right. That give you that little hit of dopamine. And I think it's very easy to fall for the, the simple quick fixes when you're less conscious, when you're just, you're in your thoughts, you're in rumination. That's just your everyday. That's your reality. It's just like, I'm not even, I'm not even here. You're just mm. a zombie. Mm -hmm. So you start a zombie and you end a zombie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can identify with, you know, like with, we're, we're talking about all of these sort of sort of traps and, you know, programming and all that stuff. And I, you know, I can see that that's me like on a daily basis. Like I love donuts. I'm always on social media, all of these things mm. at the same time, but I can also, you know, I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like that the, there's there's periods also and and thankfully hopefully you know it it will continue i feel like i'm on a sort of um a trajectory towards having more awareness and and being less uh sort of um reactive and and um unconscious in my behavior um mm -hmm. how do we do it though like how do we i know we talk there's, there's like meditation and things like that but you know is that the answer like what's how do we create yeah. this awareness how do we break out because it's no not idea, just the one and it's not a one-time only deal right it's like you know it's 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 a constant thing it's a constant yeah. like uh process in a way um, mm. and i think there's a danger also of it becoming another one of those thoughts that's like oh damn it i need to be more aware you know and then it becomes another problem that we then sort of put pressure yes. on ourselves about so how do we deal with that more awareness be aware of the aware right like who, when you are criticizing yourself for being unaware then you're you're effectively kind of stepping out of that consciousness so so there is that like it's 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 definitely a, about a, a, a practice that needs to be developed and, and, and continually stuck with like, it's never something that's going to become totally automatic. I think, especially given that we're living in this very unnatural environment, that's constantly pulling us away from, from consciousness. Right. You know, you, just, you, you only need to read a Facebook update from a friend that says, Oh, you, you need to binge the latest Netflix series to fall back into, um, and, and watching a bit of telly here and there is, is okay, right? Like I'm not saying that that is necessarily unconscious. It's when it starts to take control of you hmm. and you find yourself uh, binging without even thinking about it. And you realize that, you know, half the day's gone. It's, it's that hmm. kind of thing that you need to, you need to bring awareness to. 
Um, it's a good question. So I, I think meditation absolutely will help, but I, I would see meditation as, as a means to train the muscle of returning to presence and, and not clinging to those unhelpful thoughts. So I, I do like 12 minutes in the morning and that's it. But that's, you know, it's, it's enough to, to keep that side of my mind, that side of my being um, less susceptible to falling into the trance, right? It's a big question. It's uh, it's kind of like sort of life's bigger questions, isn't it? It's like how do you just stay, how do you stay present? How do you stay on track? Um, I think for me, what's been really helpful as well is just finding a way to enjoy life. I know that that's people are thinking. Well, you know, you just talked about not you know not eating donuts. <laughs> how can life, <laughs> how can can life enjoy be life enjoyable? Donuts, not possible. I certainly love a donut here and there, but me you know. Too. You, you, you know, it, it, you see it as part of the fun, the game of life. Um, especially given that you know that you're not going to fall into total overeating without any, without any awareness. I think it's, you know what I'm trying to say? Like a little bit here and there is great, especially when you're conscious of what, mm. you're, what you're doing. And it's totally fine. Um, it, it's, it's the falling out of control that can be the, the troublesome stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say what probably maybe what's helped me the most is, or at least a, a correlation that I see in terms of, you know, the, the level of my awareness or sort of consciousness of my behavior is, is how conscious I, I am of my motivators, like what I'm actually going for. Um, which is, you know, and it can, that can be just, simple as like having a goal for something you know i think that's why you know people always come back to to sort of goal setting as like a, a like um a really valuable thing in order to sort of help you to get somewhere and it's not it's not like it's a golden silver bullet or a golden silver bullet that that it's made <laughs> out to be like you set goals and then they're just going to happen but what it does do is it helps to focus you on on one thing and and in that then just by the act of doing that, I think helps you to be a little bit clearer about your decisions that you make. So, and, and there's so many different areas. So, so if you're kind of going through life without really knowing what you want and what like is having any kind of a sort of um, sense of direction, I think you're more likely to be pulled into uh, sort of activities and behaviors maybe that, um, you know, end up making you feel worse, making you feel sort of less empowered. Um, yeah. But when you know, because if you know, like it's, it's like, you know, say if you, if you have a goal to, uh, to run a marathon or something like that, then you're, you're naturally going to start making decisions that are uh, enable you to sort of be fitter. You're going to probably start looking at your diet a little bit more. You're going to start exercising a bit more and even if whether you achieve that goal or not you know it's given you a sort of um a priority i suppose like a, a sort of reference point for making decisions um and i think that you know the, the one of the troubles is that we all have those programs running like the ones we talked about from evolutionary or from through my childhood that's kind of looking for um it has its own goals, you know, the goal of safety, 
which is a pretty damn yeah. good goal when you think about it. But when it's in a context where you actually don't need safety because you're already safe, but sometimes that program is still running, you know, like I have to make this person like me, otherwise I'll die. That's not yeah. actually useful in that situation because it's not the truth. Like you're the worst thing that's going to happen is that person is maybe not going to talk to you again, generally not like no big deal, but because mm -hmm. of our programming will equate that with life and death situations. So, but having, being able to override that with, you know, if, if your desire for maybe if you have a, a goal, which is to get the job or something, then maybe that goal will help you to override the fear and, and, uh, you know, be aware of, of the, the alternate program and, and make a better decision in terms of, um, how mm. are you going to approach things? Yeah. That raises the question of, um, do goals make one happy or do, do goals keep, keep one from turning towards negativity and pessimism and stuff like that and i see goals as yes it's you know if, if you see life in that way if you see yourself as not not whole that you don't have everything that you need um a goal somewhere else can be a great distraction from your misaligned view of who you are if that makes sense mm -hmm. so i see i see goals as a fantastic tool for people who are either um, insecure and, and um, unable to find happiness just as they are, but it's also a great tool for people who already realize they have everything they need, but they're playing the game and they want a little bit of direction mm -hmm. um, to bring into that game. So I suppose one needs to be careful about saying that the thing I'm working towards whether it be a marathon or a, a promotion at work is going to make me happier. Right. Mm. Cause that's, oh, yeah. that's, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. Your, so you're looking at that kind of worldview of like these external conditions need to be in a certain way <clears throat> for me to be happy. Um, that's where it, that's where you get into trouble because then if you fall short, you might say, well, I haven't achieved the goal and, have, and therefore I can't be happy. Mm. That's problematic. But you, wh where you want to come from is a place of I'm already, this is already awesome. Like I'm already, I already have everything I need. I, I am joy. I am happiness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't, re doesn't require circumstances being in a, a certain way. You can be in poverty and you can be happy, but, um, you would introduce a goal as, as a means to change your circumstances because that's what life is. That's the matrix that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Change your circumstances, have fun with it. But, but, doesn't shift your, your happiness. I know that there's a ton more stuff to talk about around like, well, look, I've got bills to pay and all this kind of stuff, right? I've got to survive, but we're looking at the real bare bones of this at its core, regardless of how horrific the world seems around you, you are already perfect. You already have everything you want. You already have the capability to experience joy whenever you want. But yes, we, we live in an economic planet. We live in a world where, yes, we, we need to go out and get a little bit of money to support ourselves. Um, but you don't want to be going out there looking for money to make you happy. You want to be going out there looking for money to play the game, to play your part, I guess. And, and that kind of opens up the ability to just enjoy it rather than see it as like a life or death horror. 
I mean, it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of sit here and, and say in a, in a, you know, in a relatively comfortable space, but you know, all of that, like fear around, you know, even if there is like a sort of literal danger of, you know, losing, losing a job, losing, losing a home, losing all of these kind of things, but ultimately it's still a thought. It's still like yeah. at this moment right now, you still have everything you need. And like you say, like sort of happiness and, and all of those things are, are really internally generated. Yeah. But that's not to say that action should is a strong word, but action shouldn't happen. I, I mm-hmm. think when, you know, you're, when action needs to happen, it needs to happen. But you're not going to act as well as you could if you're worried about what's going on. If you're if you're if you're coming from a strong place of I'm all good, but I have you know I've got these things in life that that need to be done. You're going to be able to do the work much more effectively if you're not worried about the implications of not doing it. Yeah. Well, you, you could equate it to, you know, if it was an actual emergency situation, you know, like if your house was on fire or something like that, you know, like, yeah. like genuine immediate danger, you wouldn't sit there and worry about it. You wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, I wonder if my, I hope my house doesn't burn down. You would immediately be running around, like making sure that your family yeah. was safe and, and getting everything out. And that would be the only yeah. thing that mattered. Um, and that's You're the, right. It's a really, really good, a really good example to bring up because it, it really goes to show how we spend far too much of our lives adding all this fluff through worry when all that is being asked of us is to just run out of the house when it's burning mm. or do what do what's there just do it don't mm. don't think about it so much yeah yeah there's like um i think there's a certain um something that's been really helpful for me is is sort of developing a certain level of trust i think i think just through just by sort of trying it out like this idea that you're 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 talking about of kind of think using thought less to sort of less kind of getting more into the action and the flow of life rather than thinking about it. There's a certain level of trust. I think that has to take place because in some ways we feel safer in our thoughts because, you know, it's like, yeah, I have to, I want to be able to make sure that I've figured out all the potential pitfalls before I start so that I'm safe. Mm. But it's never, it doesn't really work that way. Right. And, and then I think it's in order to be successful in any field. And I think if, I think anyone, any, anybody listening, like if you think about areas in your life where, you know, you, you feel successful, you, you're kind of good at certain things, notice the, the level of thinking that happens when you're doing those things. And, and I, I like in my experience, um, when things are going well, I, I'm thinking less and I'm just sort of, just kind of allowing my um just allowing myself to sort of act spontaneously and um and that's usually where a lot of the good stuff happens um Mm. just like you know if you were in a in a a dangerous situation that you 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 wouldn't need to figure figure out a way out your your body would probably just take over and just um you know get you out of there as fast as possible um, mm-hmm. And I think we have that much more than we realize. We have that innate ability to be, to, to really, you know, 
do amazing things in, in many different areas. And we, we don't allow ourselves to get that far because we sort of talk ourselves out of it and, and, and mull over the, the potential failures and consequences and all those kind of things. Yep. I agree. The, the innate kind of creativity that's, that's, that's inside of us, that's beneath thought is mm. definitely worth um, finding a way to, to, to reconnect with. A lot of us sort of forget that it's even there, but you've seen this whenever you, whenever you've had that kind of insight that's popped up into your mind without thinking about things too much. It's that sort of um, that guiding force that's, that's there. Right. And it's not just about guiding you out of a burning building. It can also help with creativity and, and uh, producing all kinds of stuff. And I think we, we don't use it enough. Mm. I might Whether even you want to call it to so, say that that, yeah. that is creativity. Like, creativity yeah, exactly. is that spontaneous like um yeah thing and 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 that's kind of the you know the the balance that we all uh, you know especially those of us working in creative industries it's like where we we do need thought on some level but we can't think our way through the whole process right like we all know that experience of just when we're really engrossed in our work and creating that there isn't really any thought going on we're just like we're just uh, sort of at one with the act of creation itself. Mm. Yeah. I'm with you, man. <laughs> cool. So we kind of, I think we took a lot of tangents and a lot of things, but I think uh, hopefully it all sort of connected. Yeah. Up and um, I think it does. I think it connects really nicely. Mm -hmm. Like it all kind of goes back to where we started and it sort of ends in a, I think in a nice full circle, like it's, Creativity is is that thing that um, that's flowing beneath all of this thinking that gets in the way. You know, so if we're, if we're talking about creativity and running creative businesses, this has hopefully been useful because it's all about allowing that amazing intelligence, that amazing force, to um, to come out to reconnect with it. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, we have gone on tangents to sort of help reaffirm the idea but ultimately it's just about okay don't take your thoughts too seriously and just and act mm -hmm. yeah and trust trust what is already in trust there what is waiting to come out yeah. said yoda <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks uh, thanks so much alex it's been a great chat my pleasure yeah i really enjoyed that If you'd like to find out more about Alex and see what he's up to, you can go to his website at alexmavers.net. And if you found this conversation interesting, you'll probably really enjoy his book that I mentioned at the start of the show, Illusory. And there's a link to that on his website and also in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Creative Weirdo. If you enjoyed what you heard or there was something here that resonated, I'd love to hear from you. What's your hidden superpower that maybe even you didn't know about? And how are you going to unleash it on the world? Music